Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. I'm Stefan, Leviticus chapter 11, verses 1 to 8. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Say to the Israelites, Of all the animals that live on land, these are the ones you may eat. You may eat any animal that has a divided hoof and that chews the cud. There are some that only chew the cud or only have a divided hoof, but you must not eat them. The camel, though it chews the cud, does not have a divided hoof. It is ceremonially unclean for you. The hyrax, though it chews the cud, does not have a divided hoof. It is unclean for you. The rabbit, though it chews the cud, does not have a divided hoof. It is unclean for you. And the pig, though it has a divided hoof, does not chew the cud. It is unclean for you. You must not eat their meat or touch their carcasses. They are unclean for you. Now, second reading is in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 to 14. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Evening all, good to see you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the Matildas won. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, that we don't have to be in the same suspense about our salvation as we were last night, that you have made it clear from your word how we might be cleansed and spend eternity with you. And we pray, Father, that as we look at a very difficult passage of the Bible, we might see how it applies to us now and forever. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Ordinarily, on this, the second Sunday in August, I would be at home in pain. Because I would, in the morning, run in the city to surf. But today, I didn't take part because I've got a glute muscle injury. Maybe next year. (laughs) 
A verse of scripture that is important to me is in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. They say, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present time and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. How does one become more godly? How does one become acceptable to God? How does one become fit for God? Now, physical training may not be your thing. You might think of, you might be a sort of person who thinks of doing some exercise and sits down until that urge goes away. (laughs) Singing might be your thing. Studying is of some value. Reading is of some value. You put your own little thing in there. I put physical training in there. You know, this is not a sinful thing that we're looking at here that you put in. It's something that's good that you like doing. And God says it's of some value, but there is something more important, being fit for God. We saw last week that the Israelites were unfit to approach God because he was so holy. So, how might we be able to be able to approach God? First, let's look at the book of Leviticus. This section of the book, chapters 11 to 15, are full of instructions for God's people about how they may be richly clean so that they can come before God. Over the past three weeks, we've seen that God set up a system for Israel to maintain their relationship with him. It involved sacrificing a farm animal and sprinkling blood. God taught the Israelites that there was no forgiveness without the death of a spotless animal and a group of people called priests to make a sacrifice on behalf of the people. However, there is actually a little more going on here than just that gruesome thing of taking a calf and slitting its throat and pouring the blood on an altar. The Israelites were to understand that they were a particular people. They were the people of God. It is here we've got an issue, not just in regards to food and a a few other things that I'll take you through shortly, but we've got an issue of identity. The Israelites by what they ate and what they did were to be seen as different from all the peoples in all the countries that lived around them. And that principle will have application for us 
a little later on in the sermon. Identity is important for it determines how we will act. Many of you would have said or had said to you, while you live in this house, you will not, you fill in the blank. Or, I don't care what other people are doing, you're not going to. Now, God has chosen a special people for himself. They were to be separate and distinct, just like your family is separate and distinct. There is no other family under heaven that is like your family. It is different. So God says to the Israelites in chapter 11, verse 45, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. In other words, I have an identity and you are going to reflect that identity. And the society was set up in this way. Everything in Israel was divided between holy or common. And the common was divided into whether it was clean or unclean. So three levels in this community. Holy, common and clean, common and unclean. The principle being to teach the people through this sacrificial system that sin and guilt needed to be forgiven and ritual cleanliness was important because at times the people became unclean as far as God was concerned. The idea of holiness is means really to be separate. That's what it means. The people of Israel needed to be seen as different from the other nations that lived around them. And so in chapters 11 to 15, we have God setting out the way the people were to live so that others would say, oh, he's an Israelite. Oh, she's an Israelite. So, what were the rules that God set up? I will now briefly take you through the four chapters. This morning while I was preached on this for three hours, I'll cut it down to two for you. <laughs> First, in chapter 11, we are taught that food makes people unclean. These food laws are completely arbitrary and inconsistent. For instance, you can barbecue a cow, making the Israelites different from the Egyptians who did not eat beef. But you couldn't barbecue a camel. And the Arabs ate camels. The Israelites were not to eat pork, like the Canaanites did. Nor could they eat crabs, lobsters or prawns, or should a dolphin turn up, you couldn't eat that. And there were 20, 20 birds that the Israelites were not allowed to eat. Now, numbers of scholars 
far more intelligent than me, have spent time trying to figure out why different animals were included and others were excluded. Now, I don't have time to go into that today, nor do I actually think it is particularly relevant, as I will explain a little later on. But the principle that I want you to hold from it, that the Israelites ate certain things and didn't eat other things, is the Israelites are different. Most Australians do not eat dog, but other countries do. So, we know that we're different to them. Secondly, from chapter 12, we learn that blood and bodily fluids make people unclean. In Israel, blood was reserved exclusively for the atonement. We go there next week. So, no one in Israel could eat blood. It had to be kept special and used only for sacrifices for sin. Bodily fluids were also regulated, principally because, and this is speculation because the text doesn't tell us, because it represented life and death. Strangely enough, and this is an important principle here, Ordinary life could make a person ceremonially unclean. We read in chapter 12 that childbirth made women unclean. Why? Probably because it involves blood. Equally, we are puzzled as to why a girl baby makes the mother unclean for twice as long as a boy baby. We don't know the answer to that one. I would hope that this is not discrimination, but rather because females, if you follow the principle, and I don't have time this evening to take you through it, but you can follow a principle that because females had to do, deal with a lot more blood and bodily fluids in their life than men, that might be the reason why. This is really speculation, but we could talk about it later if you like. So there's two chapters. The 13th chapter tells us that skin diseases make people unclean. There are good medical reasons for some of the rules in chapter 13 about rashes, skins, the diseases and other things that you will read against there. But again, if you look at it, they're arbitrary because you look at one and you think, that's all right. Well, this one sort of fits at a different category, so why that one? Well, you have to go home and read it for yourself. We don't have time tonight to read it, but... Again, the principle is isolation, which means separation. Some people say that cleanliness is next to godliness. However, the Bible never says that. That's a Western idea. When my wife and I went to Brazil to pick up our child that we had adopted, we went to church. The church was filthy. 
Why was it filthy? Because it was a mud floor. It was a dirt floor. And the people, they came to church and they were dirty too. And their clothes were dirty. But they were very godly people. You know, they were poor people. They lived in a poor area. So we can't say that cleanliness is next to godliness. That's a Western thing. But what we've got is in chapter 13 rules about cleanliness and mould, probably to do with disease more than anything else. But those that mould was to signify uncleanliness. I know you all watched the Matildas last night and if you didn't, well, you won't get to go to heaven. (laughs) And I hope that you will be praying that we win on Wednesday night. And if you don't follow that philosophy about prayer and sport, then come and talk to me afterwards and I'll tell you why I believe it. But that has nothing to do with it. But if you watch the Test Cricket lately, you will have noticed that the English team wear whites and the Australians wear cream. Why is that so? Well, originally, when the English cricket team played, they wore white because they were gentlemen and... Secondly, white to the British signified purity and therefore we convicts were not pure and therefore we had to wear cream. And if you think I'm kidding, I'm not. So, if there is mould, it was a sign of uncleanliness and a priest was needed. So moving to chapter 14, the Israelites are told there what makes people clean and unclean. Cleansing involves sacrifice, it involved a priest, it involves sprinkling of blood, killing of birds, washing of clothes, bathing, shaving of hair, seven-day quarantining and anointing with oil. All those things brings us to the conclusion that holiness is expensive. It is a costly thing to do. We'll need to hold that for later in the sermon as well. Lastly, again returning to bodily discharges in Leviticus chapter 15, we find that not only weeping sores or pus, but also sex made a person ritually unclean. It must have been very hard for the Israelites if they were conscientious in regards to wanting to be clean and holy. Think for a moment. A man who is ritually unclean sits on the couch and then gets up and a visitor comes in 
and you have to say, no, no, don't sit there, he's unclean. Or a lady, for whatever reason, is unclean. And someone comes in to give her a hug. And someone else has to say, no, no, don't touch her. She's unclean. It's difficult, isn't it? So what are we to do with all this? These four chapters, which you might need to read on your own because we didn't have time to read them all now. We are a supermarket society. The Israelites were an agrarian community. We are not Jews. If we have a personal faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, we're Christians. So what do these regulations of some 1,500 years ago have to do with us? It speaks to us about how to be fit for God. We've got to draw some principles out of it. But what do we draw out of it? I talked to John Woodhouse about how to interpret the book of Leviticus and he said to me, David, it's like a quiz and air rod. What the rods are made of is not important. They can be wood, they can be steel, they can be plastic. But the principles regarding how to teach mathematics cannot be put aside. So what we have here in these chapters are seemingly arbitrary, demanding, intrusive, odorous rules that were a heavy burden. But what they do show is this. They show that God cares about what the Israelites do outside of the temple. He cares about what we do outside of this church building. It shows his desire to be involved in every aspect of their lives. It shows how loving he is and how he cares for them, but how aware they must be of God in their life, not just from 6 to 7.15 on Sunday night. So what principles can we draw from these four chapters? How are we made fit for God? First, We need purification if we are going to be and to live in the presence of God now, as it says in 1 Timothy 4, and in the future. How are we made clean and fit? Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, After Jesus had provided purification for us, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. We are made clean by Christ's work on the cross. He made the one true sacrifice for sin. So if you're searching for forgiveness, if you're searching for cleanliness, 
then you go to Jesus and you say to God, God, I've done wrong. I believe Jesus died for me. Please forgive me. And the law is passed away. You know, some people make up their own laws. Oh, well, I hope the good things I've done outweigh the bad things. But no law that man has made solves it for us. Paul wrote in Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us, bought us back from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And then Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10 says, We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And in verse 14, For by one sacrifice he made perfect forever those who have been made holy. We have been made separate. We are a separate entity once we come to a faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. While the sacrifices of the priests in the time of the book of Leviticus were made time and time again, Christ's death on the cross and the shedding of his blood is the one true sacrifice for sin. So the first principle then to draw from Leviticus chapters 11 to 15 is how to be made clean. They had their way of being made clean. They don't apply to us. In the first century, one of the big questions was, should Christians eat eggs? It's not a question for us, is it? All of us, most of us eat eggs. But you see, there had been 1,500 years of food laws and the new Christians, can we eat eggs? Yes. Why? The simple answer, because Christ died on the cross for you. You're not saved by eating eggs, if anyone wants to know. So, the first principle to draw out of these four chapters is that God had adopted the Israelites as his people. They needed to make sacrifices and those sacrifices impinge on every aspect of their life. It meant they lived as different people and it was expensive to do it. It was a costly exercise. There is a second principle. Recently, I had the privilege of talking to a number of the coaching staff of the Penrith Panthers and visiting their training facilities. Why are they so good? Why have they played in the last three grand finals? Now, I know that for some of you this doesn't really matter, but there's an important principle that comes out of all this that I want to use as an explanation. There are many reasons, but there are two things that the Panthers do well, probably better than most other clubs. First, they place an emphasis on relationships. 
Many of the players have played together since they were kids. But they spend time together off the football field as well. Which means that they do for one another on the football field what we might do for our family and friends. You do for your family and friends things that you would not necessarily do for somebody else. And so it is the case with the Panthers. Teamwork. Don't let the team down. Secondly, they actually reflect Leviticus chapter 11 to 15. Now, they don't know that they reflect chapters 11 to 15, but they do. Let me give you a brief outline of how they spend a day. This is an ordinary training day. They arrive at 6am in the morning. Every player is met by a member of staff who asks two questions. How did you sleep? How do you feel? And that is documented every day. Then they are given a protein drink. Not one of your ordinary protein drinks, but a protein drink made especially for their metabolism. So the fullback gets a different drink to the halfback, to the front row forward. Then they have breakfast together. And then each player does their own particular training exercises for their bodily shape and their aches and pains. And you can see, I couldn't fit them all in, but there are four, go back one please, there are four tubs, each heated to a particular temperature for use at a particular time of the day in regards to the player's training. It's remarkable. And I don't have time to tell you all the rest of the things that they do. But what's the principle of it? They arrive at 6am in the morning. They leave late in the afternoon. Their whole life is taken up by it. They're committed to it. And you see, that's the principles of Leviticus 11 to 15. So what makes us fit for God? Being cleansed by Christ's work on the cross and secondly, by putting into practice 1 Corinthians 10, 31, which says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Do it all to the glory of God. And Peter, stealing a little bit out of Leviticus, chapter 11 says this, As obedient children, we have been adopted by God. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy. In all you do, 
for it is written, Be holy as I am holy. Can the people that you mix with outside of Christian circles tell that you are a follower of Christ? Does your life show it? Do your words show it? See, this is the principle we pull out of this terrible passage that's so difficult to understand. The people of Israel were committed. They, they were seen to be different. Physical fitness is of some value. I really wish Paul had pushed it up the chain a bit higher, but he didn't. Well, what would you put in there? Let me ask that question of you. Playing the piano is of some value. Reading of some value. Whatever it might be. You see, it's not a bad thing that you're doing. We're not slotting in here a sin. We're slotting in here good things. But what's it doing to your life? Where is it in your priorities? Is it stopping you growing in godliness? The Israelites were seen by other countries to be very different from the people around them by how they lived. Is it the same for us as followers of Jesus? Are you fit for God? I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Some of it is really hard to understand and very difficult to apply. But we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you might be at work in each one of us so that we might learn about what might be holding us back. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll help us to become more fit for God for we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Penn Hills 6pm congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus, to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmats.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.